Before we start, just a warning. This episode contains explicit language and mentions of sexual abuse. So on Tuesday, a federal jury found that former President Donald Trump was liable of sexual abuse and defamation against the writer E. Jean Carroll. Kim Belware has been in New York the past couple weeks covering this trial for The Post, and she was in the courtroom when this stunning verdict came down, a verdict that awarded E. Jean Carroll $5 million. The moment the verdict was read really is one of those things that courtroom movies are written about. There was nervous energy for sure. The the gallery was full. And so the first question was, did E. Jean Carroll prove by a preponderance of the evidence that Trump raped her? And the jury came back, no. So then you could just hear a pin drop because there was, you know, maybe the worry on the plaintiff's side, oh no, is this going to be a wash for us? And then once they got into the next question that the jury did find Trump liable of sexual abuse, uh, then things started to change as they got into monetary awards and finding that Trump was also liable for defamation. A row of women in front of me who are all young female associates who work with uh, Roberta Kaplan's law firm, that's E. Jean Carroll's lawyer, uh, they started to cry. They were almost shaking, holding back sobs. And then afterwards, once uh, the jury was polled and everybody was dismissed, those young female associates ran towards E. Jean Carroll. They drew her up in big hugs. So it was definitely very emotional. From the newsroom of The Washington Post, this is Post Reports. I'm Anahat O'Connor. I'm your guest host today. It's Wednesday, May 10th. Today, we'll talk about the evidence a jury heard that made them find former President Trump liable for sexual assault and defamation. And we'll talk about what it means for his chances of being reelected in 2024. Kim, this is a really stunning verdict and something we don't get to see very often, a former president on trial for rape. Can you just remind us, who is E. Jean Carroll and what exactly did she say happened? E. Jean Carroll is an advice columnist, former TV host and writer. She was very prominent, particularly in the New York writing and media scene in the 90s. She had a TV show. uh, She had a long-running column up until a few years ago in Elle magazine called Ask E. Jean. And in 2019, she published a book where a portion was excerpted in New York Magazine in which she said that Donald Trump at some point in the mid-1990s raped her in a dressing room at Bergdorf Goodman's, which is an upscale retailer right around the corner from Trump Tower. And how did Trump respond to these allegations? Trump responded that he had no idea who E. Jean Carroll was. He denied this, um, said it didn't happen. And he also said notably, this woman is not my type. I have no idea who she is. And he also called her a liar and said that her story was a scam. So we have to note that this was not a criminal case. It was a civil case. And Trump was found liable. What does that mean in a civil case? So it means that Trump, first of all, even though he's found liable, he's not going to face any kind of 
jail time. This was not a criminal conviction, so he is not a convicted sexual abuser in that language. But it did find that these claims were put before a jury and tested. And in a court of law, they found that E. Jean Carroll's account was more credible than his. And so we know that in a criminal case, you need to prove beyond a reasonable doubt that something happened. What was the onus in this case? So in a civil case, the burden of proof for the plaintiff is much different. All she has to prove is that she has proved her claims by a preponderance of the evidence. And as uh, Judge Kaplan explained it, it really means that the jury has to find that based on the evidence she's presented, it's more likely true than not true that what she says happened, happened according to her version. Now, there were also two claims that had a slightly different burden of proof, which was clear and convincing evidence. And that was related to the defamation claims. Mm. And the difference with clear and convincing evidence is not just that it's more likely that it happened, it's that it's very likely it happened. Mm, Okay. So, Kim, I think a lot of people might be wondering, if this incident took place decades ago, you said in the mid-1990s, why was the trial only held now? There was really an important kind of coalescing of events that even made this suit possible. A lot of claims are time-barred from court for civil complaints. For a civil case, uh, she was she was out of luck. It was too late. Until in 2022, the New York legislature passed something called the Adult Survivors Act. And what that did was open up a window for a period of one year for people to bring old claims related to uh, battery, which is what the charge is under civil language. And so E. Jean Carroll, the day after that was passed, she brought this claim of battery against Trump. And it's something that, you know, really would not have been possible were it not for this decision by the state legislature. And what did Carroll's legal team point to as, as evidence that this incident took place? How did they prove her allegations? So Eugene Carroll's lawyer said, you know, this is not a he said, she said. This is a clear pattern by Trump. This is his MO. So they brought in two of Eugene Carroll's friends that, you know, were considered what's known as outcry witnesses. They didn't directly witness the alleged assault, but she did speak to them immediately after and the following day and recounted events. They also noted that Trump has allegedly done this to other women. There were two other witnesses, Jessica Leeds, a woman who said Trump groped her on an airplane in the late 70s, and Natasha Stoinoff, a former People magazine reporter who said uh, Trump lunged at her and and began groping her in Mar-a-Lago in 2005 when she was doing an interview with him. She was on CNN last night talking about the verdict. I'm elated and very emotional about this. It's been an emotional week, I have to tell you. And I, I didn't expect the jury to have a response so fast. I didn't know what that was going to mean. And then there were emails and text messages over the years that showed she was referencing the attack, she and her friends. So there was also just E. Jean Carroll's recollection, even though she couldn't remember some key facts like the exact date that it happened, her story was consistent and the juries found that credible. She was able 
to remember pretty specific and vivid details about the dialogue, about um, kind of where things looked, how Trump looked, how he sounded, how he felt. And that seemed to be really powerful for the jury. Was there any other evidence at the trial? You know, I seem to recall from 2016, you know, that the Access Hollywood tape where he makes these, you know, claims about being able to grab women by the genitals. Did this come up in the trial? The Access Hollywood tape was huge, I think, for the jury, but it was part of really this approach by Carol's lawyers because they did have her account, which was pretty consistent. They had the two contemporaneous outcry witnesses. And then for the things that they couldn't quite explain or things that might seem, you know, weird to the jury, they had experts. They had people from Bergdorf Goodman who could say, this is how the store was run. This is what the dressing rooms looked like. This is why a normally locked dressing room would have been open. This is why E.G. Carroll's memory and, and some of her behavior might seem strange to you, but this is actually very consistent with people who have experienced trauma. Mm -hmm. So they were able to explain aspects of E. Jean Carroll's testimony. And then with Trump, they were able to point to things like the two women accusing him, as well as the Access Hollywood tape to establish not only is what E. Jean Carroll saying consistent um, and detailed, it also fits into a broader pattern of behavior by Trump. I moved on her, actually. You know, she was down in Palm Beach. I moved on her, and I failed. I'll admit it. Whoa. I did try and fuck her. She was married. <laughs> huge news there. No, no, Nancy. Yeah. No, this was... And I moved on her very heavily. In fact, I took her out furniture shopping. She wanted to get some furniture. I said, I'll show you where they have some nice furniture. <laughs> I took her out furniture. I moved on her like a bitch, but I couldn't get there. And she was married. And all of a sudden, I see her. She's now got the big phony tits and everything. She's totally changed her look. She's your girl's hot as shit. In the purple. Whoa! Whoa! Yes! Whoa. <laughs> yes, the Donald is good! <laughs> and the Access Hollywood was played in open court, I think by my count, at least five times. And that seemed to make a pretty strong and, and pretty damning impression. I better use some Tic Tacs just in case I start kissing her. You know, I'm automatically attracted to beautiful. I just start kissing them. It's like a magnet. Just, I don't even wait. And when you're a star, they let you do it. You can do anything. Whatever you want. Grab him by the pussy. Wow, so Trump's own words really came back to haunt him. What did Trump's legal team argue? What was their defense? Trump's defense team contended that they didn't need to call witnesses because it's impossible to prove a negative. In their view, because this is what Trump has said, is that this didn't happen and that these statements weren't defamatory. So they're saying, you know, you can't call witnesses for something that never occurred. Now, whether other legal strategists would agree that there is absolutely nobody you could call um, in defense, you know, that's, that's a different story. They did have their own psychological witness who was ultimately not able to attend, and so they rested without calling any witnesses. And then their strategy, as they told the jury, was that we're really just going to pick apart Carol's witnesses on our cross-examination, and we're going to expose the holes and the flaws and the logic leaps. And, and the, the bottom line that they said is, in order for her to win, you have to believe the unbelievable because this story, it's unbelievable and it didn't happen. In addition to trying to undermine the credibility of Eugene Carroll's witnesses, 
They also presented an alternate theory, which is E. Jean Carroll is saying it happened because she is trying to sell books, because she hates Trump, and because she and her friends colluded for a political conspiracy to undermine him. Now, they also really hammered on to the weak points in Carol's testimony, namely that she wasn't able to recall the specific dates. And then, interestingly, there was another decision that seemed like a bit of a gamble to me, uh, which is that they kind of probed into some of the, you know, what they presented to the jury as, as odd or unbelievable behaviors and reactions of somebody who has been sexually assaulted. And they seem to be, you know, frankly, out of step with our modern understanding of sexual assault survivors. So they asked her things like, why didn't you scream? Why didn't you call police? And we know now those are not necessarily typical behaviors and they they don't, or at least they shouldn't really reduce a survivor's credibility. But that was a gamble and it doesn't seem to have paid off. And now we know Trump didn't actually appear in court but he did sit for a deposition, and he was questioned by E. Jean Carroll's attorneys. Can you tell us about that deposition and, and what role it played in this case? So this deposition was, apart from the Access Hollywood tape, really the jury's only exposure to hearing Trump in his own words. And it, it was pretty striking. The jurors had said they had not you know, largely in, in the in the jury selection process said that they, you know, hadn't heard a lot about the trial. That's probably why they were picked as jurors. This deposition, at least parts of it, have been out there in the public. We have reported on it at The Post. Um, and it was widely seen as pretty disastrous going in. And so then seeing it played, they played about 50 minutes from it in court. You were able to see how Trump looks when he is under questioning, how he's responding. You know, the juries can kind of get uh, a sense of if they find his responses credible or evasive. He at times insults E. Jean Carroll's attorney as she is questioning him for this deposition and contradicts himself. And it wasn't convincing, it wasn't credible, and it wasn't very crisp. But really the absolute gift, I would say, for the plaintiffs is Trump completely unprompted when shown a photo of he and Carol and their spouses at the time together at a gala before the assault occurred. And this was to prove that he actually has met her before. So his claim that he doesn't know who she is is false. And then unprompted, he said, that's Marla. You say Marla's in this photo? That's Marla, yeah. That's, that's my wife. Which woman are you pointing to? No. Here. Carol. Oh, is that? The oh, person okay. you just pointed to was oh, Eugene Carroll. Who is that? Who is this? And the person, the woman on the right is your then wife, I don't Ivana? know. This was the picture. I assume that's John Johnson. Is that that's Carol? Because it's very blurry. He's talking about Marla Maples, his second wife. And his lawyer cuts him off and says... No, that's E. Jean Carroll. So without any prompting from E. Jean Carroll's lawyers, Trump has identified a woman who he has said multiple times is not his type as a woman he actually left his first wife for. How long did it take for them to reach their verdict? The jury decided shockingly fast by the measure for most people. They 
made their decision in about two and a half hours, and they came back right after lunch. And so people were thinking just by the fact that this was a two-week trial, there was so much evidence, and that there were a lot of questions in the jury form for them to work through. I think people were expecting this was going to go the entire afternoon, very possibly into the next day. So for them to come back right after lunch, um, I was in the courtroom when the envelope was handed out announcing that the jury had a verdict and people were floored. Mm, Incredible. I'm curious why the jurors didn't find Trump guilty of rape. Any insight into that? Why they found him liable, you know, on these other charges, but not on the first and most serious charge? Well, I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall in that jury deliberation room. The only thing I could really look to that would give any insight is they did have very, very specific and frankly explicit directions and definitions of what they should look at to determine if something was rape versus sexual assault. So if this were a criminal case, you could file a rape charge in a civil case, battery is what they're looking at. And and the judge explained battery is just the overall kind of the umbrella term. And under that, that can encompass a range of actions. So maybe they found that in those details, they, they just felt one was more likely. But we won't know until those jurors someday, but maybe never, ever identify themselves. After the break... We'll hear some reactions from other women who have accused Trump of sexual assault. And we'll get into what Republican lawmakers are saying about this verdict. One of my, the things that's most important to me is which, which acceptable conservative candidate represents the best opportunity to beat Joe Biden. And on that measure, things like what we're experiencing today will certainly factor in. We'll be right back. This podcast is sponsored by Monarch Money. Are you saving to reach your financial goals? Reaching those goals isn't just about getting more money, but by managing what you have. And the best way to manage your money? Monarch Money. Monarch Money is a new kind of finance app that's intuitive, powerful, ad-free, and takes the headaches out of budgeting. Try it free when you go to monarchmoney.com slash podcast. Monarch puts all your accounts, investments, transactions, and finances at your fingertips. With a complete view of your finances, you'll gain insights on your spending and find new ways to save. Plus, Monarch lets you customize your dashboard, collaborate with your partner, set custom budgets and goals, and track your progress toward them. See why Mint users are turning to Monarch Money and loving it, and why the Wall Street Journal named Monarch Money the best budgeting app overall. Get a 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash podcast. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H money.com slash podcast for your free trial monarchmoney.com slash podcast. Now, Kim, you mentioned that during the trial, two other women testified that Trump had assaulted them in the past. How many other women have publicly accused Trump of sexual assault? And have we heard from any of them since this verdict was announced? So over the years, at least 17 women have accused Trump of sexual assault or sexual misconduct. Two of those women testified at E. Jean Carroll's trial the past two weeks. And two of the women spoke out after the verdict. They spoke to my colleague, Joanna Slater, and they called the verdict a vindication for them. 
Now, Kim, I wonder what the national implications of this trial might be. Trump is not just the former president of the United States, but currently the frontrunner in the field of GOP candidates that are running for president. So I'm curious, what have we heard from his fellow conservatives? Well, I'm sure that Democratic opponents are not going to let voters forget this as we go into 2024. But as far as those in Trump's own party, the reactions have ranged from thinking, you know, this is absolutely fatal for him and others thinking, you know, voters aren't going to care. Uh, National Committee Chairwoman Ronna McDaniel, she told Fox News that people vote on what's happening in their lives and, and they want to move on from this kind of news. People vote based on what's happening in their lives. And we have investigations and all these things that have been happening around President Trump since before he was But elected. Senator John Cornyn of Texas said, I don't think he can get elected. I do not think he can win the presidency. And uh, so uh, I think regardless of what you think about him as an individual, to me, electability is the is the sole criterion. And then you also have um, Senator Kevin Kramer, a Republican from North Dakota, and he said this is for sure going to be a liability in the general election. Now, Kim, in addition to all this, Trump is still potentially embroiled in some other legal cases as well. Can you walk us through some of the other legal troubles he's currently facing? Yeah, so Trump still faces several legal entanglements, and on top of that, some investigative inquiries that could turn into something more. Most recently, he faced a criminal indictment in Manhattan um, around falsifying business records. Investigators are looking into his role with uh, fake electors in Fulton County, Georgia, related to his efforts to block the results of the 2020 election. Um, There's also his handling of classified documents when he left the White House. And the New York Attorney General has also filed a civil lawsuit accusing Trump and some of his adult children of committing fraud at their company. Do you think this might prompt more sexual assault or misconduct suits against Trump, especially in light of the fact that E. Jean Carroll, you know, essentially won this case to, to a great extent? And you said there's been more than a dozen other women who have publicly accused Trump of... Uh, sexual assault? The honest answer is, I don't know, but it did certainly prove something, this verdict. Um, I think it has a lot of, obviously, real meaning for E. Jean Carroll and a lot of symbolic meaning for his accusers because these claims against him, these allegations by various women have swirled around for decades, and he's never been held accountable. So the fact that now he has had these claims tested in a civil lawsuit and they found against him is really meaningful. So I can't answer for sure, but I think it's going to give people a lot to think about going forward. One thing that I'm going to be mulling over for a while related to the results of this lawsuit is really where it stands kind of on the continuum of how American society attitudes towards um, sexual assault accusations and sexual assault survivors is shifting. You know, E. Jean Carroll said notably she came from a generation where women did not talk about this kind of thing, where they just put on a smile and went forward uh, and they they block it away. They, they didn't engage with it. And that means that, um, you know, people who harm them are, are never held to account. And she said for her that changed during the Me Too movement when she saw accusations come out against the disgraced uh, film producer Harvey Weinstein, someone who, like Trump, was 
really powerful, really influential, and kind of seen as, you know, someone who just was never going to get caught despite all of the accusations against him. But I think it is meaningful because it means that someone from this old generation that normally kept silent, who didn't have a perfect recollection of some details, was still ultimately believed. Kim, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Kim Belware covers breaking news for The Post. And that's it for Post Reports. Thanks for listening. Today's show was produced by Jordan Marie Smith. It was mixed by Sean Carter and edited by Maggie Penman. If you love the show, please leave us a review wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm Anahat O'Connor. We'll be back tomorrow with more stories from The Washington Post. Thank you.